and welcome to the Women in ERP podcast. Today I'm joined by my co-host Stephanie Poor. Hi Steph. Hello and welcome to IFS. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, today is an extra special day, obviously, as it's International Women's Day. And to celebrate, we've got an extra special guest with us, Emma Chambers. Emma is Head of Nats Integrated Business Systems, NIPS. Um, she's also the UKI SUG Director and Co-Chair of the SAP Swahana and Women in SAP SIGs. Hi, Emma. Hello. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's great to be here. So NATS is the UK's leading provider of air traffic control services. So if you've ever been a passenger or a pilot on a commercial aircraft flying in UK airspace, then it's highly likely that they've handled your flight. So you're at IFS today, yeah. even though you're an SAP user. How does Welcome. that feel? <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Watch out, SAP. <laughs> So firstly, I'd like to start off by thanking the sponsor of today's event, Resulting IT. Um, They're the UK's leading independent ERP advisory, and they've donated a substantial sum to Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust, which is our chosen charity. Um, I'd also like to thank ERP vendor IFS for continually supporting the Women in ERP initiative and allowing us use of their Staines office today. So thank you, IFS. And also a little shout out to ERP Today um, for allowing us to take over their ads. They've taken no ad revenue today. Um, They've just publicized Women in ERP, which has just been absolutely fantastic. So thank you to Paul and Co. So the official International Women's Day theme is Embrace Equality. Um, So we're going to discuss what that means and why it's important um, once we've gotten to know Emma a little bit better. So, um, So yeah, Emma... Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, um, so to start off with, I'm a middle child in between two boys. Not a great start. A January baby <laughs> as well, so very challenging. Um, but yeah, growing up, I, I mean, we were talking about whether you know we had access to technology growing up, whether that was something that was particularly on the cards. Uh, I didn't. I'm going to give away my age. Didn't didn't have any access to computers at school. Wow. And, um, uh, and, I, and I wouldn't feel that I felt particularly like I, I was any sort of, you know, competition with my brothers or expected to do anything different to them in terms of like subjects at school or anything like that. Um, but it was only later on, I think, at school that we sort of started to notice there was a difference between boys and girls and the subjects they were pushed towards and things like that. Technology definitely was was, was never on the cards for me. So, um, so I think like a lot of people sort of fell into fell into IT uh, after leaving university. I did languages at university. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, a bit of so a change. A career. <laughs> <laughs> a career in tech wasn't sort of your, you hadn't dreamt of that. That no, was never in your mind. What, what did you want to do? There are a few things I thought of. I did think about sort of doing management consultancy, project management, and I have done project management in a lot of um, my career as well, because that's kind of how I got into into IT, I think like a lot of people sort of fell into it, leaving school and uh, leaving university sort of late 90s when there was a lot of expansion in IT, a lot of a lot of work going. So I started as a, uh, a project manager, junior project manager. Yeah. And then from there kind of worked across all sorts of different um, systems and disciplines working in project management, program management, portfolio management, business relationship management, service yeah. management, all of wow. the all the kind yeah. of IT roles that you can do without being technical, without ever writing a line of code. So don't ask me you know, how anything me works. Both. I can't even... <laughs> So can't even work with, with Virgin Box most of the time. But anyway, um, yeah, so, so that's how I kind of um, 
fell into IT management and then came to SAP by quite a circuitous route. I suppose I worked for um, 15 years in total in, in public sector in local government, working for big county councils. So the kind of breadth of services that we could cover was, was quite incredible, really. I spent quite a long time in engineering asset management um, in, in terms of systems. And then really sort of, you know, working for Hampshire County Council, worked for a long time, worked across all the different kind of business, lines of business you can imagine, and everything from the very commercial businesses that they have to run to the regulatory services. So from there, I um, got a role in my current company, which is Nat, as the service owner for their SAP system. So I've been wow. an SAP user before, but knew nothing about SAP. And totally so. different to your previous role. Well, a lot, of, a lot of the principles, I think, are the same. Okay. Um, and, you know, are transferable. We're talking about sort of managing large-scale systems and having to yeah. understand how they how they connect and how they deliver to the business. Um, and then having done that for a few years, I've, in the last two and a half to three years, I've moved into the business. So I've seen it from both sides now. So now... Um, working, leading the business through a significant programme of change to get to um, SAP's S4 HANA. And those yeah. people who work with SAP will understand that there's a lot of people trying to make that journey in the next few years to get to the sort of next generation platform. So so it helps, I think, having seen it from both sides of the, yeah. of the coin. That's fab. And, and did you find that your journey to seniority has been impacted because you are female? Yeah. Have you found it a, a challenge? I'd say it's felt like it. It yeah. has felt like it. And it, it, it does depend on the role I was in and the organisation I've worked for as well. But it, 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 I definitely feel like I have seen, you know, male counterparts get more opportunities, get more support, really? perhaps, yeah. And have you seen that evolve over the years in terms of, if you think back, I don't know, say you said 15 years ago, has that, you know, what the world then is very different to now. Have you seen that in your I'd sector? I'd like to or? say it looks a lot better. But I, I, if I'm really honest, I don't think it has. Sometimes I look back and think that perhaps, you know, again, depending on which organisation you're in, that sometimes, you know, there are more opportunities. Um, I think a lot of organisations still have quite a long way mm -hmm. to go yeah. to level the playing field. Yeah, Hugely, hugely. Have you often found yourself as a the minority amongst your business very, systems? Very, very often, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, particularly working in um, engineering asset management and very, very male-dominated. The organisation I work in now in aviation mm -hmm. is very male dominant and in and in tech as well you know yeah. quite often you're in in a room or at an event and you're looking around the room playing spot the women it still happens now which is is a bit of a yeah a shock to the system sometimes that uh, you, you still find that there are very very few women represented either around a boardroom table or in, or in a large event yeah it is shocking I mean what what's the sort of percentage would you say your organization at the moment it it depends on the it depends on the department. So I work in finance and we're actually 50-50. Oh, that's really which good. Which is good. good. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, HR departments tend to be sort of, more, mm -hmm. you know, more, more more female representative. And then you look at the engineering side and it's and it's the other way around. So it does depend on the department. Um, and I think like a lot of organisations, we've got quite strong graduate recruitment programmes that are targeting now to make sure that we attract young female talent as well as male talent. And that's looking really good. What we often find, and I think a lot of organisations struggle with, is that that's not reflected up into senior levels of, of leadership yet. Yeah. And we find, you know, a lot of organisations will find that women leave mm -hmm. at a more disproportionate rate than men. So this is uh, a lot of things that we talk about in the Women in SAP stream, because obviously we talk to women across all sorts of different industries, um, not just in tech, because it's about the, the users of SAP as well as the yeah. providers of SAP. And a lot of them say the same, tell the same story that, you know, that 
for whatever reason, whether it's because they perceive there is a ceiling in the organization, they can't see a pathway for them, mm -hmm. their career is impacted by you know, family responsibilities, yeah. they leave a disproportionate rate, even when the intake is, looks like it's getting more level. It's still shocking, isn't it? Mm. I mean, how have you personally navigated that? How, how have you stayed strong in, in your conviction, in your, in your career? <laughs> it's seeming I have. <laughs> it is difficult. I don't have, you know, the answers because I think, you know, if we, if we had the answers, we wouldn't be sat here yeah. talking about Agreed. it still today. Um, I mean, I think as with everybody, you have to, you obviously have to apply yourself and know your, know your staff. I think you have to, you do have to be quite resilient in making sure your voice is heard. I think there's a lot you can do for other women as well to make sure that their voice voice is heard. You know, yes. if you feel that people are, you know, being overlooked or, or not being listened to or Definitely. not being recognised. And, and calling it out really yeah. as well when you see it. Um, yeah. yeah. Even <laughs> now, you know, we talk about it and, uh, you know, about how there's still a tendency perhaps when there are fewer women in the room as well to say, right, who's going who's gonna to go and get the visitors? Who's going to get the tea? Who's going to take the notes? And often a lot of that work automatically falls to, to the women. So, you know, I think there's there's a, a few of us sort of saying, well, we need to call this out now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so is that recognised at your senior kind of leadership level in terms of... I think so. I mean, yeah. in my organisation, I think I think it is. I think they, they would also say they don't have the answers. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's not always recognised. There's still, a, a, not particularly in my organisation, but everywhere, I think, yeah. there's still a, a level of unconscious... Bias. Bias. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we see it on a daily basis, actually. <laughs> um, we know the workplace is, is really hard for women. Like That's a given. And we know that ERP programmes are also really challenging. So what is especially hard for women in the ERP world? You know, what makes this industry in particular even harder? Yeah, I mean, I, I think because it's part of the tech industry so we know that women are underrepresented in technology and, and I think we'll talk about it probably a lot today about representation and how much representation yeah. matters and if you're if you're going into an industry where you can't see a lot of role models and you can't see people you know that, that you could become it, it does make it harder I think it's not also an industry that young women are going to be probably very attracted to mm. probably not like the, the or, most or sexist know of about. careers or know about yeah. exactly I don't think any of us kind of <laughs> No, 18 years old were thinking, oh, I must work in ERP. Exactly. Think, yeah. What is it, ERP? I, I think that's a challenge, actually, for younger, you know, for anybody coming into the market generally, because we know there's a big skills gap coming. But the important thing there is if you aren't appealing to 50% of the yeah. market, you know, you're, you're really going to miss a trick. And also, you know, women returning to work. I think when you look at the business side, it's, it does depend on whichever you're working. If you're working in finance, you're working in HR, you probably find that there, you know, there are more established pathways for you, yeah. perhaps, um, and more role models. But if you're working, you know, in some of the other areas like engineering, or if you are purely technical, I think you you, you struggle perhaps to see mm -hmm. those to see role models like absolutely. And I, I guess that's why we kind of exist because we're kind exactly. of trying to put you at the forefront so that women and girls can see what they can be. We say it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit then about your role at Nats and what is NIBS? NIBS. NIBS is Nats Integrated Business System. So it's basically all that the corporate and back office functions coming together, drawing together the business process, the data, the people and the technology to provide our corporate services. So we run predominantly in SAP. We do finance and payroll, supply chain, uh, asset management. So a lot of the sort of back office uh, functions that, that you'd see in, a, in the RP, that's, that's kind of what the service of NIBS is and what it provides to our internal customers and also uh, some of our external customers as well. Okay. 
So Nat is the backbone of the UK's industry. What does a system like SAP how does that impact how we all get to go on our holidays every summer? Yeah, now we can go on holidays. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the system that's that's running the air traffic management. That's a whole set of other you know rocket sciencey systems. Um, but it is it's our, it's a, it is the backbone of our corporate office. So without that, you know, we wouldn't function. It's the business of running our business. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, our business is kind of split between regulatory and, and sort of commercial business. So we do have to compete for um, mm-hmm. some of our contracts and we need to be competitive in that field. We need to be uh, efficient. So we are, we're looking at modernizing our, our processes as part of this move to S4 HANA, as we talked about. So uh, yeah, it's quite an important system to yeah. us. Heart and lungs. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. So even though it isn't the air traffic control system, how do you navigate that system maintenance and downtime, you know, when work never stops? Yeah, no, they never stop. I mean, air traffic control is is 24-7 and 365 days a year. Um, So even Christmas Day, one of our busiest flying days. So it's it is it is core to it because it's our master data for our finance, but also for our people. So imagine like you know the people have to be rostered on to make sure that a shift is covered for air traffic control. So that yeah. comes from our SAP HR data because that's how you know who's available and you know mm-hmm. who's qualified to do what and what work schedule they've got, who's not on leave or you know out of the office because they're sick. So so that's that's a key part of it. It also holds uh, a lot of information about our asset maintenance. So the assets we have to maintain to keep the radar installations going. Um, and of course, it's got a payroll in there. If you don't pay them, they're not going to turn up to control your plane. So you definitely won't <laughs> get away on holiday. So, uh, so it is really, yeah, it's a very, very important system to us to, to keep it running. That's only, a, you know, a few things that it, it does. It does a lot more, yeah. manages our supply chain. So, um, so yeah, it is. How do you keep that system. business critical system kind of, you know, we talked about downtime. So mm. how do you manage that, I guess? Well, so we are... Uh, we're very cyber security aware, obviously, and that's and we we do regular patching, and we have our um, we've got our business users used to actually us taking down the system every month to have it patching. So they've got good business continuity plans in place, and they're used to working around that. But I think like everybody, you know, you'd aim to have no downtime if you could. Yeah. So you know that that's something that we'd would work towards getting extra resilience built in, um, because it is critical but if if anything else is happening as well around the operational side then we we, we won't you know make any changes yeah. to the system not, not yet gone on a plane and they've said we're delayed because the patch on. hasn't worked <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine yeah. <laughs> it could be the first time for everything <laughs> i mean there is that like seasonal impact as well though that do you tend sure. to do maintenance and, and yeah, that kind so of we, thing? we try to minimize the amount we do in december because it's a very busy month. And they say around Christmas is more concentrated than the summer holiday. Yeah. Summer holidays are longer. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people yeah, travel around Christmas. Yeah. So it's condensed into maybe two or three days. That's a very sensitive time for us. Uh, holidays are busy. Bank holidays are busy. But, you know, like any other back office organisation, we have year-end, month-end. We've got regulatory periods. So there's always yeah. something. It's really like any other business. But yeah. there's yeah. just the big responsibility, yeah. like you say, run a different system. But, yeah, separate. Yeah. And you're you're actively sort of in the women in the RP community. You're you're very active. So how are you currently supporting the growth of women within Nats? We have a women's business network um, at Nats. So you know that that is very active. I think it's fairly new. I'd say it's not as mature as some of the business networks that we see, which is why it's quite good that we've got access to a lot of uh, other organisations through the women in SAP stream. Um, 
So, yeah. And that, is that across all roles or kind of, I guess, ages as well? Like, how do you encourage, I guess, the next generation? At Nats, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think one thing they do very well at Nats is we do have outreach programmes to schools and colleges. Yeah. And they ran a couple of events recently uh, about getting girls into tech. So hosting events. Um, it was a, a Saturday and they took mm -hmm. over our canteen and had like a oh. cyber day just for girls from that's local good. colleges. Yeah. So they do have a lot of initiatives like that. And that's the kind of thing that we talk about when we're talking to other organisations. What are the kind of things that you might be doing? You might think, well, oh, you know, we don't do a lot. And, and actually, then you think, oh, I've got a really good example of something mm. that we did. And you can share that with other organisations who are trying to and think. It's those tiny impacts that actually make such a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah and tangible things, because it yeah. is very difficult. I think a lot of people struggle with their women's business network. So how do you talk, take it from being a talking shop to actually doing something tangible and seeing some some yeah. results? It's actually it? something we're discussing internally at the minute, mm. exactly that. Because mm. it is, it's, it's great having one, but why? Yeah. And what do you, Where what's the impact you want to yeah. have? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're now preparing for your move to Esfalhana, which is going to be a massive labour-intensive press up to me. <laughs> 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 um, what key steps are you going to take to ensure a smooth turnaround? <laughs> <laughs> We've actually just building the business case for Esfalhana. We, we talk with this, about this a lot at the Esfalhana SIG, which is the special interest group that I chair, in addition to the women at SAP1. And we talk about this with a lot of organisations. It's actually quite difficult to build the business case just to make the move. So although we feel like we're at the beginning, about to take off, okay? Um, we <laughs> on actually, the runway. Yeah. <laughs> feel like we've been on that runway for like two years. You yeah. Know? It's actually taken a long time. We, we yeah. feel well into the programme because there's a lot of a lot of work to to demonstrate what's the value in, in undertaking the significant programme that, you know, isn't just because there's a support maintenance mm -hmm. deadline coming up and because... The provider says you have to because it's the way we want you to move. Um, and I think part of the, um, you know, the real value that you can demonstrate is showing how you're going to get new business capabilities from, from moving to the new platform. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in some respects, the pandemic helped with that. So I think we find that a lot of different companies had different experiences in the pandemic. They may have come out having, you know, a, a boom time if you're, you know, if you're into anything to do with pets or home baking or House renovation. Yeah. <laughs> DIY. You've had like a, a boom time. So you may be needing to grow and expand and find new ways to service more customers. And then in the aviation industry or others, you may have found that you've, you've gone through a very difficult time and you've got to come out focused on resilience and, and greater agility. Yeah. And how do you make sure you're fit for the future in case something else like that happens again? Such a good point. Yeah. And I think just any project that anyone's doing, you need to go into it knowing what you're going to get out the mm -hmm. other end. Otherwise... What's the point if so, it's same, same, or it's yeah. going to cost you millions? And everyone's sure. always very scared of them, yeah. right? So we, we find this, you know, everyone at any organisation, when you're looking at trying to get the business case through, you'll find lots of people who have been scarred by yeah. a previous ERP project in some way or yeah. another. There's quite and, a few traumatised <laughs> people out there. Lots of people are traumatised by it. And um, and so so it isn't, it isn't an easy thing to kind of... Um, you know, persuade people to do and come with you on the journey. But I think in some ways that the pandemic was was a bit of an accelerator to say, you know, we, we, we could definitely do with doing things yeah. differently. You know, we can we can see where we can get, you know, better efficiencies out of a, a more say, did you system. find it hard to adapt to say the I know we spoke about earlier that working from home wasn't really an option for some of your team. Yeah, in the back office, obviously, the air traffic controllers had to be yeah, still there and still working. Um, but yeah, the back office all, all right. decamped and pretty much overnight. So luckily, we had teams all set up. Mm -hmm. um, 
we'd, we, you know, we were ready for it. Our IS team did a very great job of making sure we were all ready for it. Yeah. Um, although none of us really expected it two weeks previously that, that, that we'd walk out of the office one day and not come back for a couple of years. Nine or two years yeah. <laughs> I think the trick now is adapting to that hybrid working. So, I, I mean, again, we're working in local government before it was quite a commonplace thing to be to, to do with hybrid working and work some days at home. Um, but I think, you know, we, it was it was new for us and that's and we're still in that forming stage, I think, where, where we're trying to work out what's the best way to tackle different types of work. So yeah. there's some collaborative work that you definitely need to do in the office. Um, we, we had a whole bunch of workshops. So part of what we were doing to get ready for um, S4 was to work through a whole load of line of business workshops on our pain points. And yeah. Um, we did that in person. So we, we we did 44 workshops for three weeks and we said wow, they are going to wow. be in person. Yeah, There are some things you can do on Teams. You can do some follow-up things on Teams, but then there's small groups and everyone's on Teams. Yeah. So we said if you if you there's no hybrid. If you have like a large group of people in the office and they're all sat around a table and two or three are dialing in, we just find obviously their experience isn't the same. No. I completely agree. And they, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't work. work. Yeah. And, and I think work. when you're mapping stuff out, there's nothing more powerful than just Being big old pen and paper exactly, and exactly, literally yeah. doing it. So we found that the business really embraced that and maybe it was because they'd been out, you know, out for a while. It was a novelty to come back in the office. The office was ready ready for them. It had been you know, refurbished and ready to sort of adapt to more collaborative and agile working rather than fixed desks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're still in that phase of evolving, getting yeah. to the, you know, the right balance. And on the flip side to that, how extensive are your testing capabilities going to need to be pre-go live? You are... A data intensive yes, organization. Yes. <laughs> and you know, downtime's an issue. How are you gonna manage that? How, yeah. what's your plan for yeah. you know, there is always a big burden on our business users when we do testing um and you know when we put any change through, but not least when we do our legal patching every every February. And so we, we are gonna invest in automated testing tools. Yeah. This is the time we have to really testing. There's yeah. nothing more yeah. important than testing, as yeah. we all know. Yeah, yeah, it's critical. I think we we all underestimate how long it's going to take and how many times we're mm -hmm. going to have to do it. So, um, yeah. Do we you take people out of the business and then backfill them, or how does it work for wow. Typically, we don't. They they stay. I mean, for, for the program, there are going to be a few people that will have to come out of the out of their yep. day jobs and be dedicated to the program. But no doubt we will have to rely a lot on the business users who are doing the day job because they're the ones who know what they need yeah. to test, don't they? And they're that's the where it gets complicated, isn't it? Because yeah. they're trying to do two things yeah. and that's, yeah. Yeah, it's always a challenge in time. Testing, isn't it? it sounds like a good mm. starting place. So. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so if we talk about the UK ISOG, which is the UK and Ireland SAP user group, you're the group director. And how did one this... Of the directors, one of yeah. the directors, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did this come about? How did you get involved and... We've been involved in the user group for a few years, really since uh, I started at Nats and started going to the user group. I've always been a strong advocate of user groups. Um, in a previous role where I was working with a, an asset management system that didn't have one, I set one up because they're, they're great. I think they're mm -hmm. the best sort of learning resources you can get, you know, for influencing and for collaborating with, with the supplier. So so I'm always, if there's a user group, I'll, I'll be there. And I, what was it, a few years ago, started co-chairing the S4 HANA Special Interest Group, which uh, is is a great group. It's really, really good for, again, for talking about the common experiences and challenges and lessons that people have and this quite significant yeah, you know, yeah. challenge that's in front of us. And when a couple of them stood down, they had elections. This was a couple of years, was it a year ago, 18 months ago, something like that. So I threw my name into the hat. 
um, as somebody that had quite a lot of experience of working with the user group, going to a lot of events and really saw the value of it and very sort of passionate about its value to users. So I stood as a director and got elected. So I've been, uh, yeah, sitting on the board. And we're all which volunteers. Is great. We're all Simply. volunteers. Yeah, yeah. so all yeah. customers, all SAP customers, essentially. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's really great because you get to sit with people who are, you know, uh, CIOs and directors and yeah. heads of, you know, for, for a lot of different companies in yeah. their own companies. Yeah. So it's it's really, really interesting, as well as supporting the work of the UK ISUG, which is an independent company um, set up to support the, the users. And it's, it does a fantastic job. Mm. So It's interesting because I'm part of the So IFS obviously has a user group as well. Yeah. And whilst we've got a diverse selection of different industries, quite often it's the same challenges that people have yes, across them. It? Yeah. And just sharing kind of best practice or you know, different problems yeah. and different solutions. It's just, you know, as a vendor, there's nothing more valuable no, than I customers think really talking to one another. Value. Yeah, so, and putting the time, yeah. travelling to the events and the face-to-face events now that they're back, I think, are, are, yeah. are great. Yeah, yeah great. absolutely. And you you take a, many initiatives to help women in the SAP stream. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, and why it came about, really, was because the... Um, Chairing the S4 HANA special interest group. So they've got a number of special interest groups. This is obviously one of the most popular ones at the moment. And we get lots and lots of proposals for people to come and speak at our webinars, at our events, our conferences. Um, There's always lots and lots of bids for people to come and get on stage. And what we noticed was that time after time, the submissions came through hardly anywhere from female speakers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you might get it sent to you from a woman, you get excited, and then you realise that there's two or three male (laughs) speakers coming. So we, we, you know, we started to ask ourselves, what, what are some of the challenges that are stopping women from speaking? You know, is it fear of, of not having something to say? Is it time? Is it the challenges they've got with managing home life and they have to travel? So we had a, a kind of a one-off um, webinar chat, which was massively oversubscribed. We've got something like, you know, 80 women wanting to join this to talk about, you know, why and and some of the things that we heard you know we tried to sort of like act on and one of the things I wasn't quite ready for I think was that some of the women said that they are actually intimidated speaking in front of yeah, them yeah. some of them said they felt like you know their voice was too small yeah too feminine, you know, didn't have authority mm-hmm. um which is you know I think we really want to try and I think we would talk a lot about conferences and how people always used to look the same at conferences. You know, they tended to be yeah, men of a certain age yeah. in suit. And how it's great it is to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Being kind. <laughs> <laughs> to see people who look different. But wouldn't it be great also to hear people that sound different, regional accents, you know, male voices, female voices, and, and get to the point where they all yeah. are equally valuable rather than trying to get women to sound more male and sound yeah, masculine. And do the, do the newsreader yeah. thing where yeah. they kind of drop the voice, yeah. But one of the things that the user group set up was women-only speaker training so that they could um, start to at least make that journey to to learn how to speak in a a room that felt safer for them anyway, you know, that that it's just women in the room. It's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're almost ashamed of our femininity. Mm -hmm. What's that about? Why, Why are we... Like that. It's, it's conditioning, isn't it, over yeah. years and years to say this is an acceptable voice. And I mean, we hear a lot about women who uh, will produce a lot of material and then the material gets handed over to somebody else to mm-hmm. present who's often often male. So that was just one of the challenges really that came up. And from that, we thought, well, this is so popular and women want to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's set up the, you know, the stream. So we now do... Um, we do in-person days where we, you know, we just get together for a day, ably supported by a lot of our our uh, providers and um, talk about lots of the challenges that women might be facing, have a few 
uh, female leaders come and tell their story and so you know kind of a how I got here story um, and we'll talk about you know the we had a session recently where we talked about the, the bias and recruitment and what are yeah. practical mm-hmm. things that you can do to perhaps a, appeal and find that you you know can attract more women through your recruitment process we do online webinars and we do a mentoring program as well so we have a whole host of incredibly generous women who give up their time to to host these sessions with about six to eight people online where they can just coach them for 45 That's minutes amazing. turn That's up without an agenda yeah. and talk about what are the challenges you're facing what are the stories you want to share and can you get practical tips so are you seeing like a common trend amongst that group of women yeah suspects, but yeah quite a few the same yeah. themes the same themes we're probably discussing today yeah. come yeah. up a lot yeah, yeah. What made you so passionate about this? Other than being a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose when having seen examples where I feel like women aren't being given the same opportunities or having the same um, level playing field. And I think, you know, just, just seeing all those speaker proposals come through and it being so glaringly obvious yeah. that women weren't represented, it kind of sparked yeah. something off, I think. So we've all sat there in, in the events and looked around the room thinking, can I spot another woman? So it's interesting that. because you... As soon as you start to realise it, it just opens up this whole balm of stuff. You can't unsee it. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, really sad. It is. Um, So obviously today you've joined us on a cross-vendor social initiative. You're an SAP user. We're at IFS. It's wonderful. We're friends. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that supporting women in our industry, regardless of vendor, is the way forward or should we be sticking to our own lanes at home? Absolutely. I just think, you know, there's no there's no kind of tribalism around um, organizations that can transcend the mission, really, of just helping helping all women and supporting all women. And that's that's a really great thing about our uh, women in SAP. SIG, because the special interest groups, are cohort of people on the partner side, so the suppliers who kind of support the um, events and sponsor them and provide the content, and usually you've got people on the user side consuming the content. So for this, we say it doesn't matter whether you're on the partner side, whether you're SAP, whether you're a customer, you're all members of the group, mm-hmm. and it's there for everybody to, to consume. And the great thing about it is that we do have access. We've got incredible outreach through that because we've got a lot of really big companies that are part of the group, particularly yeah. on the vendor side. So you've got like some Microsoft and Google and Amazon. Yeah. And you've also got loads of household names on the on the member side. So we get a, a great outreach, a lot of variety of um, access to different women with different stories, but also access to these companies who have very mature DNI initiatives, maybe well-funded initiatives. Yes. And a lot of our member organizations say, well, we're really small. And we we want to have a women's business network, but we don't know where to start or we don't mm-hmm. know how to make those, you know, actions that will make a difference. So we we can get a lot of lessons from those bigger organizations who are quite a bit further along the journey than we are. And they're very, very happy. We meet a lot of very passionate people on the way who are really, really happy to share those experiences and lift everybody up. And that's men and women as well. Yeah, Yeah, it's important to, I guess, shine a light on men that are impactful with regards to women and and how men are helping us too. You know, work is never about excluding men. (laughs) We want to educate and include everybody in the conversation. So there is an ageing workforce problem in the SAP space um, and probably most ERP sectors. ERP isn't that well known by people outside of it as much as we try to explain it. You know, my parents just think I work in computing. (laughs) I get asked all the time, what's ERP? What does it mean? (laughs) Yeah. So how do we attract more women into ERP, more young women? 
Can you tell me? <laughs> do we need to all get on TikTok? Well, do you know what? There probably is. Yeah, there probably is something in yeah. that. We are. We need to, to start. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have female only TikTok training next. Yeah. Um, we need to approach them in the medium that they are going to be consuming, and yeah. uh, and probably like we're not doing that at the moment. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's a challenge for marketing teams, I think, and recruitment teams to definitely. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you were saying around. You know, you've got the initiative where you've uh, invited some young schoolgirls mm. in. And it's just exposing at a young age that that ERP is an option or yes. just tech in general yeah. doesn't necessarily need to be ERP because no. you only know what you know. Exactly. And if you you'd like you to don't think, know that's an option. You'd like to think that is better now. Yeah. I mean, when I was at school, you know, we didn't get people coming around and say, well, they didn't come around and say, or be an air traffic controller either, you know. <laughs> but it was always, for me, it was like hairdresser. No, yeah, exactly. It was Social very worker. much like... And, 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 you know, all of those fantastic careers, but it's, it's quite limiting when, yeah. the, you know, people see that as their, their only options. So you'd like to think that is getting better, but I think the user groups can, can do a lot with that. And yeah. I think a lot, the vendors will need to do it because there is an incredible skill shortage on the horizon, if not impacting us already. So they, there are a lot of initiatives. But I think, yeah, the medium you use, also the environment that you provide for them. I know it's a bit more difficult now. We're going into hybrid working. And I think this is potentially a double-edged sword for a lot of young entrants into the industry, any industry, actually, because while it offers people more flexibility, potentially a better mm-hmm. work balance, I'm not sure it always does, mm-hmm. By the way, Sorry, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, they they come expecting more, you know, modern platforms to work with, a different user experience in your systems. So, you know, they are they are quite a demanding um, generation, I think. So, yeah. yeah. So we there are lots of things that we need to do I think, to make it more appealing to them. Great. And it's not going anywhere fast. You know, ERP systems are only going to continue. You sure. know, so it's a it's a good industry to get into, and one for you, Steph. How transferable are SAP skills to IFS? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, to your point around the skill shortage, I mean, it's, yeah. it is an industry problem completely. It's not just an SAP problem. It's, I think, I mean, we were talking earlier around processes are fundamentally the same. It's a different colour on the tin, let's call it. it but it's, it's fundamentally the same, give or take a few quirks. So yeah. I would say it's very transferable. I mean, us personally at IFS, we've got an academy, we skill skill up partners consultants we've got grad schemes so it is very much yeah i i completely see the the skills as transferable i don't think there's anything it's a huge daunting thing isn't it to move from an erp system and we were talking about it just over lunch how do we navigate that how do we make that transition to a different system that may be better for an organization how do we make that an easier transition how do we make that more comfortable it's a huge challenge. It does depend on how embedded you are, I think, with your, your processes and your legacy data with the yeah. system that you've got, because you say there's not much point in moving from one to another flavour to get the same outcomes. But um, yeah, it depends on where which part of the market you're in, whether you're a small organisation, are you a startup, yeah. or have you got a long It's all in that history. business case that we were talking about at the beginning. You, you need to get something with a clear view of, of what you're getting, what the deliverables are, the other side, and what the benefits are going to be you because bit, yeah. yeah if you don't know that how do you know you've been successful yeah and don't ultimately? know promise yeah definitely <laughs> that is always one yeah <laughs> i think organizations tend to sit on a system for years not really looking at what's out there because but it's uncomfortable i think the security risk is getting more and more is it yeah you sit on an old database like an oracle database that's been out of support for years you're quite vulnerable but you're really? very vulnerable and i think especially with hacking and and you know, data issues like that, I think it's, 
it's a massive risk to the business. And, and yes, the risk factor varies by business. I've got some CFAs that are like, oh, well, and others that literally are absolutely terrified of going into restricted support. So, it, you know, it, it is very dependent on that risk factor yeah. as well. Um, but yeah. Let's talk about today's theme. So for International Women's Day this year, the theme is Embrace Equity. Now, because I have a moral obligation, I do want to point out that there are a few themes today uh, in support of International Women's Day. So the UN for Women, who do a huge amount for women in tech globally, um, they actually have their own theme and they're celebrating under digital, which means enabling women everywhere to have access to the internet or to computers. And I actually think any celebration that's in support of women and female empowerment is worth recognising. And it's key to highlight that we're all looking to achieve the same thing, ultimately, which is an equal outcome. So equity, however, is it's a really important conversation and it embodies the, the same theme UN have also, as it addresses the fact that equality is actually not the solution, but it's the ultimate goal. Equality means each individual or group of people is given the same resources or opportunities. So they're, you know, equal at the starting block. Equity recognises that each person has different circumstances and allocates the exact resources and opportunities that are needed to reach an equal outcome. So perhaps one person in the line gets a little bit of a head start because they need it. So taking a tailored approach per individual is the only way of, of reaching a truly equal outcome. So how does equity versus equality look for women in our industry who wants to kick it off i mean i'll start by coming back to the speaker thing if if you don't mind because i think that is you know what will probably sound like you talk about it a lot but i think it's so important that representation and being able to see somebody in, you know in a role that you could see yourself in and it's, it's affirmative action right and i think there is no affirmative action that can make up for millennia of lost mm -hmm. opportunity yeah. and access to education and active repression so you know I've had people sort of say to me well I've got a woman who could deliver this talk but I'm not going to put a woman on the stage for the sake of it and I want to say well for the sake of what for the sake of all the girls who can see her for the sake of all the other women who will see her mm -hmm. yes do it for the sake of that so I think you know sometimes even if you've got if you've got two people that are perfectly capable of delivering this message and one of them you know is a male who's done it many times and one of them is a female who's never done it and you don't even know if she's going to be any good stick her on the stage I honestly think it's really important and it, like you said, it inspires others. It yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, there's so many wins out of that, um, both for the individual and for the, the wider community. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's also about, and, and this annoys me, because I think I think many people out there get annoyed by women on social media, sort of, especially on International Women's Day when it's highlighting successful women rather than talking about, you know, social inequality. But actually, I think it's really important to highlight successful women because I think that's what young girls and, and maybe from difficult backgrounds are looking up to um, and achieving or wanting to achieve. Do you think, though, that these posts and, and women out there are honest about their journey to get to that point? Do you think we need more transparency over the struggle with kids, the struggle with life, you know, and, and being a woman? Do we need more of that out there, more vocalisation, I guess, of... of the issues of, you know, things like you said, menopause at work, you know, not even been talked about until very, very yeah, recently. Great. You know, it wasn't even a, a discourse a couple of years ago, right? Um, you know, I was kind of anxious around this narrative of, of how do we support working mums and how do we support mums coming back from, from maternity leave instead of saying, 
because that kind of says it's the woman's problem to solve, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, how do we support working parents? And that's something I still don't think has changed enough. We don't talk enough about it's, you know, it's not just the woman's responsibility yeah, to find this balance. So I think we, we need to, yeah, talk a lot more about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about being authentic in terms of, you know, if, if we talk about the challenges with whether it's childcare or the menopause or whatever it might be, you're you know, you're elevating that discussion and topic and therefore yeah. you're kind of in, inadvertently kind of helping with the progress as well. You know, if we were all just being quite honest and just ourselves. And helping kind of... others to understand as well why it's an issue because I think there are a lot of men and there are also a lot of women who haven't had that direct experience who kind of don't get why it's an yeah. issue. Um, so, you know, we need to talk about it so that it's, it's understood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And... Do you think that the opportunities to progress within ELP-specific technology fields are fair? Again, because it's part of technology industry, I would say when you're competing, you're always, if you're one of a minority in a majority field, you are competing against a lot of people that may have a very different circumstance Mm -hmm. from you. So ultimately, no, it probably isn't. No. And I mean, we had a recruiter... um, Emily, on um, the show a few weeks ago, and we spoke about things like recruitment and the job opportunities out there. And she said, it's just there's just simply not enough women out there um, to apply for jobs. Now, how do we change that? Is it a case that we we have to actively be going out to find women to fill roles? Or is, is that discrimination? I mean, I think it's one document, isn't it? The pandemic has has affected women more than men, particularly professionally. So where, you know, the, the great resignation, the need to be at home impacted women a lot more. So I, I think perhaps, you know, there are various sort of stats that say that women's rights generally or, or, or the, the move towards parity has been set back quite a lot mm-hmm. by the pandemic. Um, so I think that perhaps there are fewer women who are available yeah. for work. And maybe those, uh, maybe the opportunities offered aren't, uh, aren't supporting them. You'd think that the move to hybrid working would help by adding flexibility. But as I said earlier, I'm not sure it helps with work-life balance. When your mm-hmm. home is your office, you don't really have a distinction or it's not easy to have the distinction between your work life and your home life. So you can only have a balance if there are two different things to balance between. Uh, I just don't think there's enough applying either. And I think like I see it when I'm recruiting, I probably get one female CV for every 10 male. Really? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the same. I I think half the problem is, is whether you're a man or woman, ERP is not necessarily up there on your must-do <laughs> things. So no one knows. And so what naturally, what, what I've seen happen a lot is it's usually someone working in the business that then gets mm. pulled onto a project. Yeah. And then it's only then that they start realising realizing what. what and that happens yeah, so yeah. often. Um, yeah. I think obviously there's the, the grad schemes we spoke about earlier. Um, there's that education piece, but I don't know how you... There's no silver bullet to kind of fix it overnight. I think no. that's the issue. Um, I think it's not just ERP, is it? It's all all fields, I think, are struggling to recruit people. And there is, there's definitely, seems to be, you know, the women in work studies came out at the end of last year, certainly highlighted burnout mm-hmm. yeah, among women as being yeah. quite a, a new significant factor. So, you know, I think it's, it's going to be difficult to attract women back into a role that's going to be quite demanding. Mm-hmm. Do you think when an organisation is employing women <laughs> and then you develop a personal development plan, do you think that should embed an equity plan or a plan to address mm-hmm. the social injustice that we face? And how do we do that? Like, you know, is that unfair because that's not tailoring things well, for a man also? You know, it, it's this equality 
I think that I think the equity argument is you tailor it for everybody, whether you're a man or woman. It's where you, as an individual, start from. So I think it does encompass men as well. Um, so yeah, why wouldn't you want to get the best out of your people as an employer? Why yeah. wouldn't you want to give them the tools to yeah. do that? If you've had a solid start, like I'm fortunate, I've had a stable home life, I've had a decent education. Like I recognise that I'm probably further ahead than someone that hasn't, yeah. and therefore. And we see it as my duty to help support, to get people... Because like, I'm not yeah. the best person there is, necessarily. <laughs> so it's kind of like you've got to help think, uh, lift others, haven't you? And then the other part of the argument is you're not just doing it for the individual. So women, you know, supporting women isn't just for the women that you give the opportunities to. You know, it's well documented that organisations who have higher levels of representation of female leadership perform better financially. They have better ESG uh, initiatives. You know, they, they are stronger organizations the more diverse your workforce is the more likely you're going to come up with creative mm -hmm. solutions so you're not just doing it for that one individual you're doing it for the benefit of the whole organization okay. yeah yeah agreed what so what could our industry be doing better to help level that playing field mm -hmm. one of my things is giving women more tailored back to work support after having babies i've had three kids and it's a nightmare uh, day to day is, is really difficult. You've got the school run now and the age they are now, but when they were babies, it was breastfeeding and everything else. Like I think it's it's an, an integral part actually to embed that into personal development plan. You know, you need to be allowed to yeah, and supporting parents to share more of that responsibility. Perhaps it doesn't yeah, fall on exactly. that on the woman. But that's another thing, isn't it? It's childcare support. So around, I think it's 90% of single parents are women, mm -hmm. you know. So we, we do talk about parenting as an equal thing, but actually there's a real imbalance there as well, isn't there? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what can we be doing around that? Childcare support, childcare vouchers, that kind of thing. I mean, the cost of childcare has got to be prohibitive. I don't, I don't have children, but I hear my colleagues yeah. talk about it, the, the struggles we're getting childcare. And that's probably why, well, it is one of the reasons why you don't see as many women returning to work because yeah. if you've got to pay the best part of two grand a month yeah. just to just to work just to keep, keep them alive during the day it? while you're out <laughs> I, I think education as well around i was reading an interesting thing this morning um about the not just the gender pay gap but the gender pensions gap which is obviously related yeah, to the true. pay gap but also yeah. the fact that women make you know have different working patterns mm -hmm. may take big chunks of their career out and and one of the things that was highlighting is that you know again I don't know what it's like in school today but we didn't get any financial sort of training mm -hmm. or you know knowledge when we we're at school and so I think you know that's something that even if it was targeted at women who had to take those career breaks yeah. and had to change their working pattern about how they can help themselves to be more financially resilient in the future as well yeah great and I think it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier just giving if there's two candidates a male and a female that both do the job give, you know, and obviously it's the best person for the job, but if they, they are equal, give the chance to the women to actually mm. prove themselves, yeah. you know. Personally, that's what I've, I've been very fortunate over the last few years. That's what exactly people have backed me and kind of yeah. helped yeah. me yeah. Uh, grow. And I just think it is, it's those kind of things where, you know, not only do you give the individual confidence, but you, you're looking to do things differently. So as a business, you generally grow as well because, they, you I know. Think that's so important. They have to realise yeah. that they grow as a business and how important yeah. it is to, to have women on the workforce because I think, I, I'd like to think it doesn't happen, but I'm sure there is still a bias towards young women of childbearing age as well. Oh, you know, sure, I, was yeah. like, I, I actually had it. I heard yeah. it uh, only a few weeks ago and I was like, had that, experience. Had that experience myself of being asked in interviews, you know, uh, years ago of, oh, so are, are you married? Are you, have you got children or are you planning to have children yes. in the next few years? And so, you know, that I think 
employees have to employers have to acknowledge that although we're trying to say there should be more of an equitable balance, it is going to impact women more. They haven't got the choice but to, you know, carry on working. They will have to take time out. They will have to break their careers. If they're a lone parent, they will have to change their working pattern. But to recognise the value yeah. of keeping those women in the workforce mm-hmm. and actually some of the most, you know, organised yeah, and effective oh, wow. yeah. people There's no time. There's no time for the <laughs> women day. who are used to having to compartmentalise yeah. and organise their day because they've got so many extra responsibilities. So. Yeah, it's true. it's true. But also, it's that long-term investment. If, if you believe and invest in someone, you generally get that loyalty back. And if you're very short-term about it, you know, you get short-term employees. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's true. So what sort of day-to-day things could we be doing to try and make an impact and support women our colleagues and and so on and so forth you know every day it's flexibility i think yeah. you know it's interesting i've started seeing quite a lot often on email signatures a lot internally as well actually a, a bit uh, at the bottom saying i choose to work flexibly don't feel like you need to reply straight away yeah and actually it just yeah. it's it's that kind of thing yeah. where yeah, maybe you have been you know you, you got home from work you whatever you know you, you had to go nip out and collect a kid from school because they weren't feeling very well you then choose to work a little bit later yeah. there's no you know it's, it's giving it's empowering the employee yeah so it's trusting trusting yeah. 100% yeah. trust yeah yeah it's true and educating men on the inequity of women um that you know that we're, we're dealing with simply because we were born female it's ridiculous isn't it <laughs> But it is hard to see it, I think, isn't it? If you've never experienced it, and I think yeah. it is hard for some men to acknowledge that it that it is still a, a thing. Yeah, they've not had it impact so. them directly. Or they have a daughter, and that's where it changes. I think this is what we yeah. were saying the other day yeah. when yeah, men have daughters and they start to see them mm-hmm. not getting access to the same sort of opportunities, or maybe trying to do something that's typically male dominated, like play football or something, mm-hmm. and then they, you know, that they start reporting back their experiences that it makes them a little bit more alert to it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of wraps up our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys and um, and girls. And have a great International Women's Day and, yeah, embrace equity. Yep. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye.